Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Today, we have a truly innovative show where we'll be talking about some new technology that can absolutely do away with a billing practice that many of us have come to despise, myself included, <laughs> Bill, too. Welcome me, Scott Lee, the entrepreneur, lawyer, and founder of Altfee, with some radically cool technology that's way overdue in the legal domain. Scott is a lawyer by trade and uh, entrepreneur at heart. So that's one of the reasons we love him. He has founded a number of businesses in addition to practicing corporate law for the last six plus years. Prior to co-founding Altfee, Scott's legal practice was primarily focused around M&A and he was the general corporate counsel at times in commercial space. During his time as a lawyer, he had a keen interest in innovation of legal practices and operations of law firms. He was constantly thinking about how technology could make firms better. Bill, perfect fit here, right? We love that kind of thinking. That led to the founding of Altfee with his fellow co-founders. Scott and Altfee, a legal tech SaaS company, are absolutely on a mission to improve the legal experience for everyone. More specifically, Altfee's developed a knowledge management and collaboration tool to assist law firms by incorporating alternative fee arrangements, pricing structure into their legal practice. And Scott is an absolute zealot for this. Bill, we've been watching social media over the last couple of days. It's absolutely on fire with him out there promoting this new business model. So today we're going to dive into that journey a little bit. We're going to talk about the technology. We're going to talk about his goals for the business. It absolutely fits perfectly with some of the technical aspects of legal that we love to discuss. And he is absolutely out to leverage that technology to change and improve a system that could benefit us all. So Scott, what did I miss? Not much. That was pretty pretty great intro. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what else I can add to that. We might be able to wrap up pretty quickly here. Well played. Well, look, so before we get going into anything serious, I always uh, like to throw out a don't suck fun fact. Yours was simple, man, because the minute I talked to you a month ago when we were talking about how this all evolved for you, you, you've got an enormous input and involvement from your family. And so you you may not know this show, but uh, back in the day, Bill, you probably remember this one. It was uh, from 66 to 71, uh, a US TV show called Family Affair. It was Brian Keith and Sebastian Cabot. Buffy and Jody, remember? And then later, Sly and the Family Stone threw down one. It's a family affair. So, so talk to us a little bit about because look, I, I've done some business with my family before. You've got a family affair going on here, man. So, uh, tell us first of all because we'll dig into a little bit about more of their roles in the business later. But tell me who's involved in this thing with you because there's a lot of there's a lot of last names that look the same here. <laughs> Yeah, that is, that's very fair. Yeah. So three co-founders are myself, my brother and my dad, my mom and sister, they take part as my sister actually works at my dad's law firm. So she definitely is a strong supporter of what we're up to internally at the law firm as she helps kind of be the internal champion of sorts at my dad's firm, Digby Lane Company. But it's definitely a family affair, but it's nothing we're not used to as we've all spent time working around my dad's law firm since uh, our early days when we would help him move offices by lifting boxes up from office one to office two or going in and sneaking free pens from the the back room, which seemed like a really cool thing when you're in, in grade five to more recently where you know I was a practicing lawyer there. My brother's been 
part of the firm for you know 15 years in, in more operational management roles and my sister as well. So it's the family side of it is is very active and ongoing, but we're we're very comfortable working together as we've been doing it for a long time. Well, that is very cool. And you don't know this yet, but Bill and I have actually bought the TV rights to this show. You know, you <laughs> you you know how popular these legal uh, drama shows are. That's well, true. You know, we just capitalized on it already. So we went out and bought the TV rights. We, We're going to put the show together afterwards. I hate to yes. break it to you. We got we got to create some more drama in our family to make it exciting for you. Oh, it's dull. That's okay. We'll take creative liberty on that. So it's all good. Well, look, that is fabulous. And, and that really, that's a neat story. It struck me immediately where I thought, wow, that's really cool because that's not something everyone does. And I've been in business with family before. It's got its unique challenges. So kudos to you guys for pulling it off. It's amazing for what you've been able to do up until now. I applaud for sure. So let's dig into a little technology here and, and talk about how this all got started. So let's take a trip back first to the, the early days. You saw some brokenness and disjointedness in the legal domain, specifically as it pertains to how legal services were built. And as you shared in a prior conversation with me, much of this came as a result of attempting to leverage some of these changes in your father's law practice. So tell us a little bit about how all this came to be, Scott. Yeah, I think that's right. I was probably not dissimilar to a lot of young lawyers when I was starting out, trying to just get kind of get your feet under you as you're getting going and understanding how this whole thing works. But pretty quickly, once you do, speaking for myself personally, then I kind of have this understanding once you start to communicate a bit more with clients, how you ended up in this sort of semi-conflict position off the get-go where I should be incentivized and rewarded for being efficient, but it was really quite the opposite from a financial perspective, as well as, you know, targets and everything else that goes that direction for the law firm. And I was in a very fortunate situation that I was definitely not pushed in that direction at all from my law firm, but that is kind of the natural inherent position you get put into. And I know this is pretty common for a lot of young lawyers as they're sort of settling in and starting to do a little more on the communication front and starting to build those relationships with clients, you get put in these situations. That was something that definitely was kind of sitting there with me in the early days. But like you mentioned before, I, I practiced for sort of six years or so, and that feeling didn't necessarily change, but it's kind of the status quo in the industry. And I was fortunate in that my dad was very innovative in his approach. What ended up happening was as the pandemic was hitting, we were actually both down in, in California and we were getting pushed back to Canada pretty quickly around March of 2020. And my dad, as he says, on the airplane ride home, decided that he wanted to move to provide alternative fee arrangements for every project for every client during these uncertain times we were entering into. And that was really the start of my personal focus around this area. I was coming back from some time away with my young daughter and wasn't sure if full-time practice was what I wanted to get back into. And it coincided nicely with what my dad was doing, where I came on and worked with him to essentially build out a manual system for his law firm around alternative fee arrangements. More than just saying we're going to do this, but really build a system for success. And so we focused on building out the different types of projects he was carrying on, understanding what went into those as well as creating a wider system that focused on continuous learning, soaking in learnings, a lot of these similar higher level concepts that we wanted to make their way into the software as well in one way or another was kind of part of our plan. And that was the start of the journey for me within alternative fees back in, call it March of 2020. The alt fee side of things started to kick up sort of end of that summer. So my dad launched this August of 2020. By that time, we were starting to see a bunch of success, really interesting benefits for the firm, not just the obvious ones, but some less obvious ones internally that were happening. We started this journey not being able to find a good solution. Why aren't we the ones to go create a solution to help 
provide an option for law firms that are going through a similar sort of experience or just have an interest in alternative fee arrangements. That was kind of August, September 2020 was the start of the alt fee journey, where from then until now, we've kind of been through a lot of the classic startup steps, beginning with a lot of conversations, tapping into our large network within the industry, trying to get people to poke holes in where we were headed and understand if this thing had legs. Fast forward a year and a half, here we are. We have a live piece of software that's on the market ready to go. Well, Scott, I really love you know, your view of the incentive driving force that you mentioned. Uh, you know, I've been involved in service businesses uh, outside of legal, where the more trouble a client has, the more billable hours we can charge. There seemed to be in the customer's mind a conflict of interest underneath with what you've come up with. You've kind of dealt with that and and put everybody on the same page. So a good point you're getting at is that that mentality ends up putting you as a lawyer, as a service provider, as a legal professional in a reactive position instead of a proactive position. And that's not a very good spot to be in if you're trying to do the best job you can at the end of the day. Shifting this billing model and pricing model puts you more on the same team at the end of the day, which is really, really important part of this whole puzzle. Absolutely. And I think people are going to really gravitate towards this. I know I would as a purchaser of legal services. So Scott, since you're on the the Don't Suck at AI podcast, let's dig into a little of the technology behind Altfee's offering. Since it's clearly designed to allow lawyers to spend more time practicing the law, leveraging massive efficiency gains and providing them with a tool that gives them the ability to scope and price out their services. So talk to us a little bit about the technology behind the tool itself. For sure. When we started down this path, as our vision for the product became clear, we found our direction towards a piece of software that was simple in a lot of ways, intuitive, but still powerful. That's a lot of the messaging we get back when we demo this thing is we had a lot of experience with legal technology and often it was very powerful but not really being tapped into in its full potential. And a lot of that is just look and feel and intuitiveness for the user. We kind of flipped the script in our perspective and wanted to make sure that side of it was handled really well. And we maintain that focus as we consider new feature ads and all that stuff in our day-to-day right now. With that in mind, what we did is people that have been in the industry, my, my dad for you know 40 years or so practicing law and the rest of the team with a bunch of experience, we combined that with some really skilled software engineers that we brought onto the team to kind of create this thing to help solve this challenge. And so what we ended up with to date is a piece of software that allows firms to break down all of their work into specific projects with factors that are common for those project types, use those guidelines to help facilitate healthy scoping and pricey conversations with clients customize their guidelines over time to ensure recent learnings are being incorporated into future scoping and pricing conversations, as well as collaborating with colleagues to price with confidence, and then ultimately maintain a record of all those projects with your pricing within the software. You know, those are a few of the main core functionalities that we've ended up at in terms of what this piece of software can actually do for you. Really, really diverse and versatile. It's really impressive. You shared with us a little bit about the technology that makes it possible. Kudos to your team for developing a tool that really fits right into lawyers' workflow and is super intuitive to use. Talk to us a little bit about why you feel it's the time for a model like this to be adopted widely. What makes lawyers want to utilize this tool now? What Talk to me about the timing of it, Scott. Yeah, it's, a, it's obviously an interesting time, right? With just about running into the two-year mark from the start of the pandemic, that has certainly played a part in it. But this concept of alternative fee arrangements is not is not new, right? There's This has been talked about for a long time. There's articles you can go find that run back a long ways, but things have changed that may allow this to be a better time for this to really 
grab hold and become more commonplace. And the pandemic certainly plays a part in that. There's a lot more remote working and a big piece of what we wanted to create was something that, that, that involved collaboration and mentorship and doing that asynchronously in a lot of ways as well. But there's also just been a, a lot more comfort, or whether it's forced or not, from law firms with technology. And the pandemic has certainly played a large part in that. It's opened up eyes and put people in different positions to either be forced or be excited about bringing on technology to allow them to continue to operate, whether it's remotely or otherwise, during these times. I think a lot of what's happened is people have had good experiences. They've realized the benefits that can come with technology and are now more willing to invest in technologies that will allow them to do their jobs better. And so that's definitely a huge piece of the puzzle. In combination with that, we entered a very interesting time in the pandemic, but pre-pandemic as well, where clients are demanding more certainty in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways. I've spoken to people that will speak with confidence on this topic saying that, you know, as lawyers, they felt more demand for certainty prior to the pandemic, and it's just amplified once the pandemic hit. So there's, there's a demand coming from the client side, which honestly may be the ultimate force that's needed to take this thing more than just being hit and miss, depending on which law firm you're going to. In addition to all those things, we're, you know, the I think it's a very interesting time for the industry in that mental health is nothing new in the industry in terms of it being a difficulty, but it's something that's heavily talked about. There's a lot of reasons why the billable hour doesn't necessarily get tied nicely with mental health. There's a retention issue within our industry where People with really great legal minds, skilled lawyers, skilled legal professionals are leaving the industry for other jobs just because of the working environment. And that can often be tied back to the bubble hour as well. And I think, you know, amongst all those things is a group of people that are innovative and wanting to do things different and not accepting of the status quo. And that group of people is now growing and growing with confidence and kind of willing to go it on their own and start doing their own thing a little bit more. And you see that with some retention issues in bigger law firms and ultimately leading to more small, mid-sized firms where people are kind of going out and making kind of that thing their own and really owning it. So I think it's a long-winded answer, but I think it's a combination of a lot of those things that are happening within the industry, which may allow for you know, something like this to be an opportune time. Yeah, timing is everything. And uh, the, the technology available nowadays uh, makes this practically realizable, which you, this innovation that, that you've come up with. So I, I've heard you say that one of the byproducts, if you will, of leveraging a solution like Altfee is that when costs are controlled, it's possible to make some legal services that seemed out of the reach to the masses due to cost uncertainty. Now something that they may be more likely to afford. So talk to us about how a model like this could actually help increase access to legal advice that many need but can't afford. And I don't want to say that this is the answer to access to justice, and I am definitely not an expert on the topic of access to justice. But when you look at the stack, they are fairly staggering. I think one of the more recent ones maybe a couple of years back was something like 77% of legal problems in the US do not receive help where they would want help. And you combine that with a stat from Clio's recent trends report that says, I think it was 78% of consumers say that lawyers should be adopting pricing models that make legal services more affordable. And affordable isn't just you know your total price, but it's also the method that you go to create it and the certainty aspect of all that. You combine those couple of stats and it's, it's a pretty staggering issue. With all that in mind, one would hope that price certainty on the upfront for the client for understanding what they're going to get would allow, it's not going to erase that number. It's not going to make that number down to zero, but it's going to allow a bigger chunk of those consumers to be able to sit back and make a decision with a budget in mind that yes, in this moment, I can afford and the value is there for me to go buy this legal service and be able to make that decision with 
all the information they need and the certainty they need to be comfortable doing so, you would think that that would help bring that number down some degree, whatever that degree is, I don't know, but help to some degree, the access to justice problem that is very significant. That's a great point. And and I think we've all, you know, I've I've experienced that personally where, you know, it's write me a a $10,000 retainer and I'll tell you when I need more, right? But I'm not going to tell you how much more. I'm just going to keep telling you I need another tranche. And so a lot of people that can't afford that, uh, they're going to miss out, right? You can't just sign up for a blank check. And that's what people feel like, I think, a lot of times when they go to search for legal services, it's just too daunting. You're right. It might not be the whole answer, but wow, visibility and transparency, huge in and being able to determine whether you can work it in your budget. Totally. So, I think it's, I, I, and it's a perception of the legal industry as well, right? This, that the legal industry has been built up over years and we, we joke about the sitcoms, but they probably pay a part in it in that lawyers and, and law firms get put in this certain way and this certain description around them, which is it's really expensive. And I think even just the thought of it is a deterrent for people. And so spreading the message that there are firms, there are individuals that are going about and doing this in a different way that can create cost certainty for you. Like I obviously I'm, I'm dug into the space. I get to talk to a lot of people. There's people doing this. This is an option right now. If you spend the time looking around and just spreading a, a bit of awareness around that so that people can start to find those individuals to help them with their legal services is a good starting spot. No, agreed. And you know, what gravitated Bill and I to this is that, look, we, you know, we're a service provider. We build custom software. Let's let's yeah. focus on the word custom software, yeah. meaning we don't always know what it is we're building. And yet we can give an estimate to people when we go build this because we've been doing this for three plus decades. Yeah. Don't tell me that people that have been doing what you do over and over again, creating these similar types of agreements and contracts and services don't have some sense of what that's going to cost to the point where you can give them an answer to that. That's what I find very frustrating about it is because I don't think what we do is dramatically different. And if we can do it, in other industries, it can be done there as well. So kudos to you to bring it to light. Well, look, we're getting close to the end. Let's wrap up by looking at kind of a higher level of focus in terms of what you see out there from your unique position, Scott, in terms of the legal tech landscape. And as it pertains to pricing models, let's take a look at that big old crystal ball. Where is all this heading, both from a firm perspective as well as the clients? What, what do you see this transition looking like as people start to assimilate this type of methodology and technology, Scott, what is, where's this going? I'm really optimistic. You know, we've been dug into the space for a year and a half now, even in that year and a half, it seems the conversations have, have shifted to some degree more towards a direction of adoption and excitement. But we also know this isn't, you know, this isn't magic. This isn't going to be an overnight change. This will take time depending on the style of adoption from a law firm. There's a heavy amount of change management that has to happen. When you talk about big firms, there's a large amount of change management that has to happen because they're heavily structured around the billable hour in a lot of different ways. And it's a it's a big change to make. But I, I truly am really optimistic because of the conversations I get to have. And I'm having conversations with people at larger firms, solopreneurs, small size, mid-size, and everyone within that spectrum of law firms is, you know, the tone has changed from, you know, if I was trying to have these conversations and do a demo to someone two years ago, I might have been pushed out, right? But right now, the conversation is mostly excitement. A lot of people are very intrigued about what's happening, trying to understand, you know, how, how could I make this work? And that's both, you know, the small law firm trying to bring this thing in and, and fully make the change, similar to my dad's law firm, make a change as a law firm as whole. But it's also groups talking to the corporate group, let's say, of a, of a large firm, you know, sitting there having a conversation with someone who he personally is excited about this concept and 
our technology allows them to just bring it in for the group, right? Let the you know five, 10 of you in your group start to play around with this concept, use the software to benefit from what we've spent time building, You know, bring it in just for your team. And that might be 10 of you and you might have a multi-hundred person firm, but your team is committed to this concept and you want to make it work where it's a slightly different perspective than the change management side of it. But that whole range is people that are excited about what's happening. They want to have a demo. They want to continue the conversation. They want to talk strategy. So I think when you kind of combine all those things and what we always view as the three main stakeholders in this thing, the clients, like law firm clients, the staff members, and the law firm, when you look at those three stakeholders, we went down this path knowing that there's an opportunity for this to be a win-win-win for all three of those stakeholders. I think that possibility is becoming a reality for people. All it takes is you know one or two experiences trying this out and having an experience, people start to make a shift. And I've, I've seen it in some one-on-one conversations and events and stuff like that, where someone will talk about an experience where they just tried an alternative fee arrangement. They just said, I'm going to fix fee this project and try it. And they had such an amazing experience that it put them down a path of, okay, I need to do more of this. I need to do more of this. And that's ultimately the start of creating a system around something, right? So I think all that said, I'm really optimistic about where this can go and the positive change it can have on our industry. Yeah, it is super exciting. And given a choice, I think people out there, when they hear this message, and if they have a choice and they know that something like this is available and the particular firm or lawyer they're going to choose has this, they're going to pick it. I mean, why wouldn't they? It'd be insane not to. So I can't wait to see where this goes. And so I, we're absolute cheerleaders for you. We think this is just a, a phenomenal needed change must have in the industry. So but look, this is the time of the show where you know I typically stop and pull my notes up and, and highlight a couple of points in here that absolutely don't suck. And <laughs> here's what I heard. I heard, first of all, man, leveraging AI to build a, a a disruptive model to change something that people really have hated in the industry for a long, long time. That absolutely doesn't suck. We got huge applause for that. Uh, yeah. Lawyers, you know, I heard this and this was not something that's, that, that I even thought about, Scott, until I heard you say it. Lawyers working in an environment driven by a billable hour and the impact that has on their mental health and their stress level and all those things. I had never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. If they're thinking about, man, I got a bill, I got a bill, I got a bill, I got to meet metrics and KPIs and blah, 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 blah. Wow. You know, that takes a toll. I mean, you know, so getting people out of, even if it doesn't fully do it, giving them an opportunity to focus on the deliverable as opposed to the hours uh, has got to take a ton of stress off people. I mean, so I, that that's phenomenal. Anything you can do that to help that in this space, that doesn't suck. And then lastly, you know, successfully building this, this business with your family and doing it uh, dramaless, uh, nonetheless, it's, <laughs> it's really amazing. And then even more importantly, selling Bill and I the rights to the Family Affair TV <laughs> law drama show. That absolutely doesn't suck. Bill and I are going to get rich. Everybody, yes. you said win, 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 win. You forgot the fourth win. Bill and I, we're going to win too. So this is all good. That absolutely does not suck. Hey, you're, you're, I, I may be a non-practicing lawyer right now, but you're talking to a lawyer and I, I don't recall any uh, any formal agreement coming across the table on these rights. So <laughs> I'll send you the, I'm going to have my general counsel talk to your general counsel. I'll send that over here shortly. <laughs> well, let's, use, let's use alt fee to draft that thing. That, yeah. Please do that, Bill. That's right. <laughs> Well, listen, Scott, first of all, kudos, man. This is amazingly exciting. It's disruptive. It is absolutely the kind of thing we want to champion. And and we're going to be watching and cheering and supporting you the whole way through. But all of our listeners that that don't suck family of listeners are going to want to know how they can follow you as well, because I know people are going to be excited to hear this. So where do they find you? How do they keep up with you? 
Yeah, LinkedIn's probably the easiest to get a hold of me personally. Uh, Lee, my last name's L-E-I-G-H. Uh, my email is scott at altfico.com. Definitely feel free to reach out. Always looking to connect with like-minded people. Uh, aside from that, you know, if anyone's interested in what's happening over at Altfi, www.altfico.com and sign up for our newsletter, get demo set up, all that good stuff from there. So whatever is easiest for you, like I said, always excited to chat to people in, uh, excited about the space of alternative fee arrangements. Awesome, man. Well, listen. Thank you for coming on, joining us. The story is fantastic. The product's even better. Where you're heading with this, game-changing, potentially even life-changing. Bill, what would you add to this? Well, it's just been a delight to talk about this in more depth and hear more about it. One aspect of it that I really like is the front-end loading. This type of process will require the law firm and the client to have some upfront discussions and more clearly defined in a partnership arrangement, collaborate together of what it is that the work is, rather than sorting that out down the road and having a bunch of surprises. So that is certainly more healthy and will create a more uh, healthy client law firm relationship. So I applaud that. And it's just been great to talk about it. I, I can't wait to see this thing <laughs> really take off. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Scott, I think about the only thing that I didn't hear today that I thought I might hear a little bit more of was the Canadian accent. Now, where is it? Where's the Canadian accent? Really? Oh, yeah, it, I'm not here. I'm not hearing it. I'm I'm West I'm West Coast Canada, so it's a little bit it's a little bit subdued maybe than some of my East Coasters. Yeah, I expected to hear words like a boot, you know, uh, you know, that that I should have sound. I should have emphasized more. That's that's poor form by me. I <laughs> that's the only thing I think more. we missed today, man. <laughs> well, I, listen, I apologize for my poor my poor Canadian performance for all the Canadians out there. <laughs> it's all good, my friend. Well, listen, we appreciate you coming on and uh, from Canada and good old Texas in the US here, we are going to sign out with that's a rap baby. <laughs> <laughs>